electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso. Tonight on Fast, Snap Pops, the Scott stock rocketing higher in the after-hour session on a surprise earnings beat. We'll break down the quarter straight ahead, plus the big warning from Uber CEO today, and the stock went higher. We will explain, and later, Kohl's is getting in on one of the hottest trends in the work-from-home era, what the retailer just announced that got investors feeling zen. We start off with an earnings alert on Netflix, the streaming giant falling in the after hours session after reporting its biggest earnings miss since going public. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with the lowdown. Julia. Well, Melissa, Netflix shares plummeting on the company reporting its biggest earnings miss since it went public. That stock uh, down about 6% on those and that EPS miss that was 19% short of expectations. Netflix's all-important subscriber number also fell short of the company's already lowered expectations. Netflix added just 2.2 million subscribers in the quarter and guided to the addition of fewer subscribers in the fourth quarter than analysts anticipated. Now, that's not all. Looking ahead to next year, Netflix warns of some very tough comparisons. Oh, sorry, here. Uh, I'm making a quote here saying that hopefully as the world recovers in 2021, we would expect that our growth would revert back to levels similar to pre-COVID. In turn, we expect paid net ads are likely to be down year over year in the first half of 2021. Now, uh, co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos saying in their letter to shareholders that retention remains healthy and engagement per member household was up solidly in the quarter over the year ago quarter. That is key. It means that they shouldn't see any churn. But they also weighed in on competition, which they said remains vibrant, saying Disney's recent management reorganization signals that it is embracing the shift to streaming entertainment and they are thrilled to be competing uh, with a growing number of other players, including Disney. Melissa, Netflix has this video call and it starts in about an hour. Back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson with the uh, with the latest there. And of course, with that call getting underway in just about an hour's time, we're sort of in this zone here. We've got the stock reaction. We've got the shareholder letter. And that's all we have to trade on right now. One highlight that stood out to me, Tim, was that uh, they expected they had talked about this before, that there was pull forward um, from the back half of the year, maybe even going into next year. So why are we so taken aback here? Because it's a growth story and because it's priced to perfection. And, and while, uh, you know, I, I've certainly been out there thinking that, that Netflix was overpriced and I've largely been wrong for a long time. Um, I, I think the if you look at the year over year subs, I mean, they were six point eight year over year to the same quarter. Uh, and, and we yes, we had pulled forward a lot of subs, but the growth in a linear uh, approach to uh, you know extrapolating where they're going to be either way is disappointing. Um, Reed Hastings has done a nice job of trying to manage expectations. He's also spent a lot of time talking about let's use that linear word one more time, the fall of linear TV, and and what that actually means is it's going to take uh, you know all the boats higher. They're happy, bring on the competition, and clearly they they have a pole position. I think the real question is free cash flow for me. This has been a cash burn story. Uh, they've gone out of their way to buy content at any price, uh, and you started to see maybe a little bit of that inflection on free cash flow. But uh, do they have pricing power? 
that's the big question right now. Yes, more original content, I think probably more engagement than ever. But can they raise prices? Because otherwise, I think uh, this is going to be very difficult on on profitability in the short run. And of course, what we've seen in free cash flow for the past two quarters has really been helped by the fact that there hasn't been any production. So their costs are much lower, Karen. And they've already talked about uh, 2021 and the impact of the uh, to expect free cash flow to be between break even and negative one billion dollars. So that comes right back into play immediately. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of amazing that a company's had this much success. And here we are talking about break even. Like, that's so great. However, I think to Tim's point about cash flow and pricing power, I think the pricing power story is really part of what the bulls uh, hang their hat on, which makes sense. But when they talk about the competition, you sort of have to wonder how many dollars per month are people willing to spend and how do they divide that against all the competition? And so, therefore, does Netflix lose some of their pricing power? One other thing, though, I, I think here for many companies, but this one in particular, you really have to listen to the call. I would be hesitant to trade it in the aftermarket now because there's a lot of color that we want to hear from them. And as Tim said, they, you know, they basically are often uh, under promise and over deliver in a in a lumpy kind of way. Over time, that's what they do. They've had, court, you know, several bad quarters. So I would wait and hear what they have to say before I, I panic and sell it if I'm really a long-term believer. I'm not, it's too expensive for me, but I wouldn't short it. In terms of the competition, should we really be concerned about competition or does that metric, which they made so much of in that shareholder letter, the engagement per household being very strong, a year-on-year, quarter-on-quarter guy, uh, address that very issue that households love Netflix. They're, they're binge-watching Cobra Kai season one and two, eagerly awaiting, as I know you are, <laughs> uh, season three guy. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, I've been just going right through the Cobra Kai's. I can't even believe that we're on the eve of Cobra Kai 3. I, you can see the excitement in my eyes and in my voice, no <laughs> doubt. It's interesting, Come you on. know, if you, if you go look over the last six months, I mean, we've seen this. No, I'm serious. Cobra Kai, I mean, it's uh, only if Ralph Macchio is going to be back in it. And, a huge, and, you know, by the way, Mel, he I know you know this. It. Ralph is a huge Fast he Money is fan. in it, by the way. See, there you go. I mean... <laughs> Even more, anyway, even, go ahead. even more Continue. of a reason for guy. season three to be such a blockbuster. <laughs> Look, we've seen this 475, 560 range for a while now. I will tell you that I thought we were going to blow through those all-time highs we made, you know, basically two and a half weeks or a week and a half or so ago. But this is where we were. This 495 level is where we were at the end of September. So it's been doing this dance between, you know, 480 and 560 now, seemingly for the last six months. Keep in mind, and I know everybody knows this, this is still a record year for sub ads uh, for Netflix, which probably priced, you know, the stock is taking that into consideration. But to answer your question, yeah, competition is, is important to, to take into consideration. But I think it's Netflix and everybody else. And I'll say that again. I think Netflix has set the bar and I think they have a probably a decade head start on everybody else. Grasso, what's your take on the quarter, given the stock moved down 6% right now? So I, I would have guessed that Guy would have said that it was uh, double toppy or triple toppy versus blowing through uh, those highs. I, I saw the 575 level uh, as, as pretty good resistance. And then this month, we saw it only reach 572. But judging where it's trading now, 492 is last, uh, Melissa. 489 is your 100-day moving average. It tapped that last month as well. Now, that's important because... 
It hasn't been below these averages for quite some time. If you look at the 200-day moving average, that goes back to the uh, corona low. So it hasn't been that level for quite some time. And I do believe it is Netflix and everybody else. But I, but I look at it this way. You're going to have, when we all first started talking about streaming, we thought you would have one or two. Now you're going to have probably eight to ten. And you're going to be replacing your cable, and you're going to have all these little add-ons. There's going to be a $5 one, a $10 one, a $15 one. I think Netflix has pricing power. I think they should actually raise prices uh, as aggressive as they can right now because you have a receptive audience. Just think, whoever cancels Netflix, it's not going to happen. You're going to have Netflix. You're going to have Prime. You're going to have everything else. But I think for a host of reasons, this is the time to be a seller of tech. So I can't get bulled up on a story that I feel, as Tim started out earlier, has been overbought for quite some time. All right, let's get more reaction to Netflix's quarter and bring in Fast Money friend, uh, Loop Ventures founder, Gene Munster. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, and let's, Hi, let's, let's set this discussion up with some context, and that is that you are neutral of Netflix. What are the major questions that you would have uh, for the Netflix management on that call? Well, really, how are they going to transform the business? Ultimately, companies that have these 90 multiple, that's what Netflix multiple is, 90 multiple greater, these massive uh, uh, multiple companies, Amazon, for example, in that camp, they need to transform. It's not just about growing subs domestically or growing subs internationally. And so my fundamental question for investors is how are they going to transform the streaming business? And everything that I understand is that they're going to be continuing to evolve around more localized content international content that has been a strength of theirs. But to me, uh, that is a question for management team. And ultimately, there's not a lot of questions that I have for them. And the reason is pretty simple, is that the results tonight are an example of why this business is A, difficult to predict. They do, as Karen said, typically under-promise and underperform. And in this case, they uh, did not hit that, uh, that, that uh, lower goal. But ultimately, the reason why they missed that goal is because growth simply isn't there. And th these markets that uh, you need to pay up for these multiples needs to have a transformative, a high growth uh, aspect to it. And I don't think there's anything on the call that they could tell me that would uh, change that longer term view. Ultimately, if the objective is to return to pre-pandemic growth levels mm -hmm. uh, sometime next year, to me, that isn't justification for uh, what should be uh, a great business, but not a great stock. When you say evolve the business, you want to know how they will evolve the streaming business. What, what exactly does that mean? Because it seems like right now a lot of media companies are trying to, tr to, to evolve into what Netflix is right now. When you take a look at Disney and, and the new emphasis on content and then Peacock as well. That's the challenge, is that essentially they're driving into what is a dead end here. And not to say, again, this is a great service. Consumers get a lot of value for their Netflix subscription. But again, I'm thinking about the stock and, and making money in the stock market. And ultimately, to do that, you have to evolve the business. So in the case of Netflix, there really isn't something to evolve to. And if you think about what Google is doing with some of their other bets, think about uh, Amazon, what they're doing uh, related to fulfillment. Think about Apple, what they're doing with AI and wellness uh, wearables. All these are transformative types of aspects on our life. And I think in the case of uh, Netflix, uh, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's uh, some sort of uh, virtual reality type experience. I, I don't know where they go from this. 
But to me, the same playbook that they've used over the last 10 years, it's been great. It's a, this is almost a $250 billion company, much bigger than I ever thought it would be. But that same playbook, I don't think will yield the same results, that same price appreciation. Hey, Gene, I, so it's Tim. I'm skeptical uh, of some of the same issues that you have here, but the bulls are going to tell you uh, that the foundation of this uh, sub base uh, gives them the ability to flip the profitability switch at some point. I don't see it. Um, but where's the operational leverage in this business? And, and you know, what are your concerns around next year's content costs? Any thoughts into that? So I, I don't think that there is a, a ton of leverage in this business. We saw it in some of the previous quarters. Um, Leslie, you mentioned it in the setup, too, as far as when they've been uh, cutting back some of the production costs in the pandemic. But that is not sustainable. They still have a relatively large amount of debt for a tech company. And yes, uh, they can have some margin improvements over time, but this is not, uh, I don't see this being a massive uh, margin expansion story for the simple reason is that content is king. And to do that, you have to keep producing content. You cannot pull back on that content spending. And so uh, I think uh, that is challenged. I think probably the most bullish uh, uh, part of this Netflix story is that, uh, that the logical investor would say that it's run its course. Uh, that there's, uh, and I think the, uh, the esteemed panel today would, sounds like we're largely in agreement on this. And I think uh, the contrarian bull case, just the fact that it is uh, not uh, consensus, that's probably the most optimistic thing on the stock. Gene, great to hear from you. Thank you. Gene Munster of Leap Thank Ventures. Um, Netflix shares in the after hours, close to after hours session lows here. Karen, you want to button, button up this conversation? Well, I just wonder if Netflix is a decade ahead and yet still doesn't make money. It does make me think, all right, maybe this rush of all these other competitors, they're going to have to start dropping off when they can't afford the content costs. Right. That's so a good maybe point that's one benefit. Uh, let's turn out to Snap. That's another big mover. The stock rocketing higher in the after hour session following a surprise beat. Let's get back to Julia Borson, who's got the details as well. Julia. Well, it's a snap soaring on better than expected results across the board, with revenue growing twice as fast as expected, growing 52 percent in the quarter from the year earlier quarter. And the company reporting a surprise profit of one cent per share rather than the five cent per share loss that analysts anticipated. Now, this comes as Snap added nine million daily active users in the quarter, far surpassing the range of four million to six million that Snap forecast for Q3. Snap CEO Evan Spiegel in his prepared remarks pointing to COVID pushing advertisers to try Snap's new augmented reality ad formats, saying, quote, the adoption of augmented reality has happened faster than we had previously imagined. and We feel well positioned to execute on the many opportunities that lie ahead. Snap saying that the positive trends, they expect they'll continue, saying fourth quarter revenue growth of as much as 50 percent is attainable, while they also expect to continue the 18 percent year over year user growth that they saw this quarter into next quarter, as they say they saw increased engagement on a number of key metrics, including a 50% increase in the time watch spending this time spent watching shows on Snap. Now, also check out shares of some other social stocks that are on the move in after hours. Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all of those shooting higher in after hours on the back of Snap's gains. Melissa, back over to you. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, of course, what ties all of these together, not just that they're social stocks and you waste a lot of time on these platforms, but the, <laughs> Snap is the first advertising-dependent company to report, and all these other companies derive that same, uh, you know, advertising dollar important to their business model. So the question is, can we extrapolate Snap's results, Tim, to some of the others? 
I think he can, although I, I think in the case of Snap, they, they're starting to get some derived benefit from this massive investment they've made in their business. And again, we're talking about a 20% kind of you know, year-over-year growth cycle and, and some trends on their DAU growth. These revenue growth numbers are far in excess of, of what we're seeing. And I think it's, it's uh, you know, that's obviously the top line. Advertising is built into that. Yes, these are good trends. And yes, they're better trends uh, than the social media space uh, might have been expecting. Although, look, Facebook uh, told you basically back in June, they showed uh, the, I think the word was resilient uh, in terms of the ad revenue side of their business. I don't think anyone has been expecting these to fall out. I think this has been, uh, the last six months have been a news cycle boom for anyone who's in the news business or the media business, and that's social media too. I, I think a lot of this is snap uh, on their own, giving a better result than expected, and it has been surprising over the last three quarters. Yeah, Grosso. Yeah, so when you see a stock pop 22% on earnings or down 22% on earnings, whatever the case may be, in this one it's up. The, the analyst community was caught off guard, and kudos to Jeffries. Jeffries slapped a, a, what seemed like an exorbitant price target on this one, and it just eclipsed it. They had a $33 price target, and they labeled who were the key players in, in the digital ad space. It was Snap and it was Facebook. They're a little weary of, of Twitter monetizing. That's always been the case with Twitter. But if you look at Snap, now when they don't have the issue that they're going to have with, with the uh, judiciary committees that Facebook and Twitter are going to have uh, pretty, pretty damn soon. Uh, this one is one where everyone got on the wrong side of the boat. If you remember, when Corona hit, what was the first thing that everyone thought was going to take the cut. It was going to be advertised spending. Mm -hmm. And not only now are these filters just for kids to play around with, but they're more and more creeping into the business venue. And I think that's why people were caught off guard in this one. Having said all of that, I would not be a buyer of it on a 22% spike. We should know, too, that the short interest in shares of SNAP is 7% of shares outstanding. This according to FactSet. Um, Guy, if you are a believer that advertising dollars flowed into all of these platforms in this latest third quarter, where are they coming from? In other words, the pie is only so big. And so do we assume that it, it, it is, means that broadcast TV, cable TV, they are the platforms losing out? Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, my pushback would be, and we've been pretty bullish in Snap for a while, and we said that some of Facebook's problems was going to really lend itself for Snap to sort of crawl from out underneath the thumb of Facebook, and that's proven to be the case. I mean, you look at the ARPUs, I'll let Tim do the ARPU thing, but average <laughs> revenue per user in North America was $5.49. The street was looking for like $4.30. That is a staggering number. Um, and, and they're just running their business better. Not that people will do this, but I'd encourage folks that are the, the, the interest to go back and look at Evan Spiegel's first conference call oh, as a publicly traded company, which was a disaster. Absolute disaster. But ever since then, they've really figured it out. So good for Snap. And I would understand why you'd be inclined to take profits here. And Steve makes a great point. I think you stay with Snap. I think they finally have figured it out. Something we have been talking about now, at least since this was a $17 stock back, I think, in January. Right. The return of sports, by the way, also a big upside driver for the, uh, for the quarter for Snap because that wasn't in their guidance when they gave it last quarter. Coming up, it's a busy night for earnings, but we've got you covered. We'll break down the after-hours action in Texas Instruments next and later. We're tracking the treatments as global coronavirus cases continue to rise. The number one ranked biotech analyst joins us for an update on the race for a cure. 
Stick around. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some after-hours action for you in Texas Instruments. Josh Lipton's got all the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, I caught up with Mitch Steves over at RBC. I wanted his quick take. Mitch calls this a solid Q3 print, beat and raised across the board. He says expectations were elevated, and that's why the stock is not moving more in the after hours, he argues. And heading into the print, that stock was up about 60% from the March low. Mitch says free cash flow is a percentage of sales, near 40%. And that shows, he says, operational execution remains strong at TI. He does, though, rate this stock sector performance likes other chip names better like NVIDIA and AMD. Executives on their call saying revenue is higher than expected. They called out what they said was a notable rebound in automotive, returning to levels similar to a year ago. They also called out personal electronics as well. That's also growing. We know consumers are buying PCs and tablets. Executives say they see strength in other categories too, TVs, smart speakers, other electronics that are being used in the home. Industrial, by the way, down low single digits, so that's about even from a year ago. Puts and takes there. Appliance is strong. Aerospace weak. Near term, there is more vis visibility now, but executives say they do remain cautious as the broader economic impact of the pandemic could continue for years. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton. Guy Dami, how do you trade Texan? The only problem with Texas Instruments, there was a great quarter beat and raised. Josh said it all. By the way, love Josh Lip. I mean, Josh Lipton is absolutely the man. W with that said, I mean, at 26 times next year's numbers, you know, even if they earn $6, I mean, that's, that's not a cheap stock. Uh, you know, I think AMD is obviously more expensive valuation, but it probably has more growth potential. And Qualcomm is probably cheaper. And quite frankly, they have better growth potential. So in the would you rather rather, in my book, it's AMD, Qualcomm, ah. Texan, Melissa. You pulled a Grasso, so I'll go to Grasso. <laughs> I love that game. So, so just because he led me down the path, you know, when I, when I look at tech, Texas Instruments, you look at the SOX index or the semiconductor index, that's up about 28%. Texas Instruments is underperform. It's up about 17% year to date. Then you look to the other side, NVIDIA has been everyone on this desk's favorite at one point in time. I think that one is so overdone now. It's up 131% year to date. But when you look at the automotive side, NVIDIA, you have gaming, you have AI, you have everything under the sun. And I think 
there's a healthy amount of autos in a lot of these different chip plays. I just think we're watching and witnessing one of a laggard effect where you see the, the, the ones that have not performed kind of dragged uh, a little bit higher. I would not be an investor in this space. I think the AMDs, the NVIDIAs are all overdone. I think you're going to see those come in. You're just seeing probably, I don't want to call it a dead cow bounce, Melissa, but with Texan, you're starting to see a late inning game where they're catching up and not even close to catching up. You know, we are talking about the pull forward effect in Netflix in terms of its subscriber numbers. Should we expect that there's somewhat of a pull forward effect when it comes to some of these chip stocks as well in that how many PCs, how many tablets, how many cars am I going to buy again outside of whatever quarter in which they are produced, Tim? Well, and t- Texan typically is very conservative and at times. I think it was a year ago, you know, at, at this time they, they were giving some guidance and certainly two years ago that 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 weighed heavy on the chips. But um, if you look at those numbers, analog growing 18 percent, embedded growing 19 percent. I think, if anything, this is a positive read through to, to Intel, which reports on Thursday, which which has not been outperforming, which obviously has some structural issues and possibly some secular ones. But um, in their core business and the things that that Texan just talked about as being bullish, um, I, I think this actually shines a decent light on Intel, which has actually been a pretty good chart off those lows. So um, that's my interpretation. But yes, I, I do think uh, we've had an extraordinary period of, of electronic device pull forward. Um, let's see where it goes. All right, coming up, Uber in rally mode. Will shares continue to accelerate from here? Your Uber trade is arriving next. Plus, GM says when it comes to electric, go big or go home. We'll tell you what the company is unveiling tonight that could add some spark to the EV trade. The details when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Uber cruising higher today on the back. Some comments from the company's CEO. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with the details. Debo. (laughs) Melissa, well, he said this morning that a recovery in rides is being led by Asia while U.S. volumes, they remain down. He also commented on the worker classification battle in California. On the plus side, Uber is starting to figure out what its business could look like if they lose that November 3rd ballot measure, Prop 22, and if they have to reclassify drivers as employees. Khazar Shahi said that prices for consumers, they would increase by 25 to 100 percent, though the size and scale of its business will be what he calls a big question mark in California. So that backs away from the notion that Uber could leave the state entirely if it doesn't go their way. But guys, on the other hand, such a move changes Uber's entire business model. And it could also set the tone for other states considering similar legislation. In turn, 
making Uber look less like a tech upstart, more like a delivery or taxi company. When Uber was valued at $76 billion in private markets just a few years ago, it was considered a disruptor with big ambitions and freight and autonomous driving, among other moonshots. CEO Darwak Hazra Shahi, though, he has since taken a different tact, scaling back on those ambitions and considering a new regulatory landscape, which, guys, would have been unthinkable in the Travis Kalanick era. Its market cap, now around $64 billion, may reflect that shift. Back over to you. So let me get this straight, Deidre. Investors are giddy over the fact that Uber doesn't sound like it would leave California, and, and they're totally overlooking the possibility that by hiking prices, they've narrowed the gap between Uber rides and taxi rides or limo rides? Well, they've... You know, they've already displaced taxis, the large proportion of taxis, at least in a way. So perhaps now they're just filling that gap and they're getting paid more for it. I mean, there's been such a focus since the company went public on delivering profitability, right? Perhaps at the expense of long-term ambitions. We don't know that yet, but this is one way to get there. Also, perhaps, Melissa, on those comments that rides are at least recovering in Asia, so perhaps they will recover here in the United States as well. But also remember that Uber has made this big pivot towards food delivery away from ride sharing. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bose with the latest on Uber. Karen, how do you, how do you think about this story, if you heard those comments from the CEO? Yeah, I think he also talked about profitability in 2021, which must have been part of what moved the stock. I mean, I can't help but wonder, let's say they have to increase prices dramatically. I don't know that that consumer, that Uber rider, has inelastic demand, that they'll take that ride no matter the price. So, uh, you know, California still remains a very big question mark. I'm not as excited about the delivery business. I think the management is outstanding. I think he's fantastic. But... All that having been said, I don't really love the business or the valuation at this price, so I don't own the stock. The price increase, according to Khazar Shahi, could be up to 20 to 40 percent above current prices in the large cities of California and up to 100 percent increase in the small cities in California. Guy Adami, I mean, if you're a consumer and all of a sudden that, that discount for an Uber ride goes away... I don't know. Well, you're an old-fashioned guy. You probably go outside and hail a taxi yourself. But I would think that it's less incentive to take an yeah. Uber. And it's, I tell you, you, it's why I love you. Wait a long time for those yellow cabs to come by. But, I mean, listen, they've clearly done some studies on this. They, they clearly believe that they'll be able to put those increases in place and not have a huge disruption. I'm not certain that's the case, and there's a lot going on in California right now. I'll say this, though, in terms of the stock – Uber has completely outperformed Lyft over the last couple months. So into earnings on November 5th, I'm more inclined to sell uh, Uber and buy Lyft. And quickly, Mel, are you a fan of Bo Jackson? Were you a Bo Jackson fan back in the day? Mm, crickets? <laughs> no. Is that a no? I don't know no, who I, Bo I, Jackson is. I say is. that because, you know, the great, <laughs> you know, who, yes, you do know who Bo Jackson One of the great, one of the great on, taglines is Bo Knows Sports. Oh, yeah. I say that because Dan Nathan gave Deirdre this nickname and Debo. We should make T-shirts. Debo knows because she her and Josh Lipton together. I mean, that's like the dynamic duo of CNBC. I just want to give a shout out. 
Great nickname by Dan Nathan, but great That's job true. by Debo. She That's, knows. We've got an outstanding San Francisco Bureau, as our viewers know. Coming up, Jam Shares getting a nice boost today as we await a big EV reveal tonight. we got a full report on what to expect next and later. A major flex from Kohl's. We'll tell you what the company just announced. that sent shares shooting higher today. All that and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. GM posting some big gains today as we count down to the company's big unveil of its new EV Hummer. Phil LeBeau's got the details. Hi, Phil. Hey, Melissa. Uh, For General Motors, the Hummer is the big story today. But earlier today, a very important story and one that investors should pay attention to is the fact that the company said, you know what? We are going to be ramping up our EV investments here in the United States putting $2 billion into a number of facilities, the biggest investment, retooling the plant in Spring Hill, Tennessee. That's where they're going to build the Cadillac Lyric, an all-electric SUV that's going to be coming out in 2022. All of this raises the question, along with the Hummer, what's going on with electric vehicles in this country? Where are the sales now and where are they expected to go to? This year, LMC Automotive estimates that pure electric vehicles, we're not talking about hybrids, we're talking about pure electric vehicles or just 1.3% of the market. Now, Adam Jonas believes that we're going to see EVs make up 10% of the market by 2025 and 25% of the market by the end of this decade, though I've talked with a number of people who have said, wow, that is really ambitious. For General Motors, going electric is important because they're going to have 20 EVs coming out by 2023. So they are buying into the idea that the market will be ready to transition. And yet, when you take a look at General Motors versus Ford versus Fiat Chrysler, it's really only been within the last couple of months that GM has been given any kind of a credit for that EV portfolio. Remember, the stock was under a little bit of pressure after everything that went down with Nikola and that agreement that has really not borne the fruit that many thought it would when it was first announced. All of this comes, as you mentioned, Melissa, as they prepare to unveil the electric Hummer. The Hummer is coming back. It's going to be under the GMC brand. It will be an electric pickup truck that they're showing tonight and tomorrow morning. You do not want to miss this interview. We'll be talking with GM President Mark Royce. This will be on Squawk Box at 7.15. Mark Royce has really been spearheading, along with a number of other executives at General Motors, the company's push towards an electric portfolio or one that's much more geared towards electric vehicles. We'll be talking to him about that as well as the Hummer. Lots to discuss with him tomorrow morning. It's an interesting car to electrify, Phil, a Hummer EV pickup truck. You would think that it's it's really not fuel efficient, so it makes sense in that way. But you would think that it's also very heavy, and so the range may not be very far. Well, look, that's the image of the Hummer that was sold, what, a decade ago The reality is you want a brand name that cuts through the clutter when you introduce it, Mm. and the Hummer does that. Look, it's not going to take long for people to realize this is not the gas-guzzling Hummer. This is an all-electric vehicle here, and so that's the key distinction here. I've had a number of people who have said, well, the Hummer, well, that was a gas-guzzler. Why would you make an electric vehicle and use that name? Because you cut through the clutter. That is what you want in the auto business. You don't want to come out with a new vehicle and say, look, it's the XYZ. People are going to not have to work as hard to immediately <laughs> recognize it nor to check it out. That's true. Bill Lebeau, thank you. you uh, Bill Lebeau in Chicago for us. Everybody knows what a Hummer is, Guy Dami. I mean, should GM get more credit for this emerging, this growing electric vehicle portfolio? Well, Tim would argue correctly, apparently, over the last week or so that they should. And, you know, even if they got a, a, a smidge of the valuation of a Tesla or a 
Nicola, we're, we're, we'd be in great shape for the stock. I mean, you're pushing towards levels we last saw this time last year, and maybe for the first time in a long time, GM is starting to get some credit for something they've had in place literally for the last three years. I mean, I know Tim's been talking about it for that long, and maybe the market's waking up to it. Yeah. Tim? Well, look, I mean, the Hummer may be a great thing, but that's not really the focus here. The market will put whatever multiple they want on EV, and we've seen that. It's not just Tesla. Uh, it's Neo. It's, it's, it's any SPAC. And, and so the dynamic here is really GM has gotten no credit. Meanwhile, just take GM's core business. This is a company that's trading around seven times, maybe seven and a half times, has never been more structurally profitable, has a refreshed line, and the secular trends in autos are pretty good. But leave that alone. They've been at uh, autonomous for a long time as well. In fact, California agreed to let them get on the road in San Francisco and begin uh, a lot of that autonomous mile gathering. But the EV business, to say that the, the, the one of the largest automakers in the world has not been working on this. But, but again, how much does Tesla get rewarded for saying they're building a new factory? GM says they're going to spend $2 billion in a factory that they can actually afford and they can actually build. So you just get one one-hundredth of that multiple on the stock that's already profitable. Um, and I think you've got a very good story. GM's been dead money for five mm-hmm. years. Um, so very clearly it's been a frustrating trade, but it's a company with Mary Barra that I feel a lot more confident in. Grasso, just quickly, you roll the dice on GM. Yeah, I think I would roll the dice on GM. It's outperformed Ford. Neither one of them has performed well. But I would take a look at Tesla. Tesla stopped on a dime at the 50-day moving average. Currently, it's at 411, the 50-day is. That one looks like it's getting primed to move higher as well. Yeah, and of course, Tesla's out with earnings tomorrow. Speaking of electric vehicles, up next, we are talking Tesla. Shares running low on battery today. As it gears up for earnings, we'll break down how options traders are betting on this name. And as we head to break... Enjoy a stretch when retailers is doubling down on the red-hot athleisure trend. We'll tell you who sprinted ahead of the pack today when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Coronavirus cases continue to rise around the world with global cases passing the 40 and a half million mark. At least 10 countries, including France, Germany and Italy, hit record highs for average new cases on Monday. Meanwhile, Moderna's CEO saying he expects interim results for a COVID vaccine next Monday with emergency use possible by the end of the year. And Reuters reporting that AstraZeneca may resume its vaccine trial as early as this week. For more on the state of, a, of the race for coronavirus cure, we are joined by Umar Rafat, the senior analyst at Evercore ISI. He was just named the number one biotech and pharma analyst on the Institutional Investor All-America Research Team. Umar, great to have you. Congratulations on that honor. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to ask you about just the notion of transparency now. Um, we are getting all sorts of updates, whether it be from the CEOs of Moderna or Pfizer, about the status of their vaccines, the status of, of trials, when they expect to get approval. Does that make it harder or easier to trade these stocks? You know, I think from a, um, when all is said and done, we want to see definitive efficacy readouts. And to get definitive efficacy readouts, um, the ultimate trading events will matter. Uh, based on when we actually get real data. So, for example, Pfizer's guiding to end October. Moderna could possibly have interim data in mid-November. Uh, those will actually be theoretically the next big trading opportunities when the vaccines could, in fact, hit something north of 70% efficacy. So as an analyst, when you hear these CEOs talk about various milestones, potential milestones to look out for, 
does it get you extra excited? Does it raise the bar in terms of meeting those deadlines or, or does it not make a difference from your from your perspective? Right. So that's, that's very important. So the reason they're guiding to those uh, time points is because they have a certain expectation of the pace at which infections are accumulating in these ongoing trials. So, for example, Pfizer had uh, north of 20,000 people dosed as of uh, a certain point in September. And their expectation is over the course of 30 to 45 days of tracking those folks, uh, there's a certain number of infections that might kick in, maybe perhaps 30 plus. And if that's the case, um, they expect a certain efficacy bar to be met. So the timelines these companies are guiding you to mm-hmm. is effective their expectation of how fast COVID is happening in their trial. All right. Your topic within your space is Gilead. Um, recently, there was a, a question about the efficacy of its coronavirus uh, treatment, remdesivir, because of a WHO study. Why do you like Gilead and, and you know, what, what makes it your top pick? Sure. So Gilead, I like it a lot because I think going forward, Gilead has effectively defined itself with a um, EPS trough of sorts of at least $8 uh, based on a combination of their existing business momentum as well as uh, new drivers of business, which is Remdesivir temporarily, but more importantly, their capsid inhibitor, um, Trodelby, and more importantly, call options on oncology franchise. As it relates to remdesivir, I think the study that came out recently has a lot of um, randomization problem. It's not a true randomized trial, so I wouldn't read too much into that one. And in terms of how, how an investor should view vaccines and treatments for coronavirus, in your coverage universe, Umar, is this upside to any of your names or does your rating not hinge at all on developments in vaccines? I think if there's one vaccine name that I cover, which is not being any uh, generalist dollars for, for COVID vaccines, it's probably Merck. And I say that because if you look at Merck, it's already been selected into uh, Dr. Fauci's group of selected vaccines. And um, and I, I think there's almost no conversation of Merck being a COVID vaccine player. So if there's one name that's not getting much player, it's probably Merck. Umar, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Umar Rafat, Evercore ISI. Guy Adami, Merck is an under-the-radar vaccine play. What do you think of it? Well, it's below 80 bucks as well. And I think in, just in terms of the company, forget about vaccines, although Merck was basically created on the back of vaccines. The stock is too cheap. So I agree on that one. Gilead, by the way, is trading $60 on the screws again, which is really, really disappointing given the news that they've had the last couple of weeks. And Steve started the show mentioning uh, the Netflix double top. You know, we don't talk about ETFs all that often, but, you know, you have one in IBB in terms of the 146.5 level it traded back in June, I believe, and the recent high failed there. That's concerning. We had pointed out it really needed to close above 147, didn't do it. Uh, that's a little concerning here, Mel, given, this, given the really – Wake of great news the entire space has had recently. All right, coming up, shares of Tesla hitting a roadblock ahead of earnings tomorrow. So how are options traders plugging into this name? We'll talk some Tesla next. And coming up at the top of the hour, Jim Cramer is speaking with the CEO of Logitech after the company reported strong earnings this morning. We've got much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast. Another check on shares of Snap up by 23% in the after-hours session. Beats across the board. Daily active users, a real bright spot there with increases quarter on quarter as well as year on year. It's nearing 250 million DAUs. Uh, By the way, as for earnings, Tesla reports tomorrow. The stock has been on a tear this year, and options traders are betting on even more gains when the EV maker reports earnings. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. 
Hi, Melissa. So, yeah, in Tesla, we did see calls significantly outpacing puts, as we have for the last couple of weeks, by a ratio of about 2 to 1. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about $35, higher or lower by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's a move of about 8%. Sounds like a lot. It's actually well less than the company has actually averaged over the last eight quarters. One of the options that was seeing some of that activity opening was the weekly 450 calls, but many of those were actually being sold for just over $9. And what that suggests is that options traders, while not outwardly bearish, aren't expecting the stock to exceed last week's highs of just over 460 by the end of this week after earnings. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Coe with the action. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Welcome back to Fast Coles, topping the tape today after introducing a new athleisure brand called Flex. The retailer says it is part of its renewed focus on the casual lifestyle category. The Flex line will be available in March. Karen, interesting timing. Maybe that's as fast as I can get it out, but by by then we might not be on as many Zoom calls. (laughs) True. The March thing is, uh, that's longer than it should take, I think, but they are doing private labels. So that's more margin. I think they also talked about profitability improving to seven or eight percent, but we don't know by when. Uh, they're trying to mix it up. They're doing more outdoor, more athleisure, less men's dress. All, I mean, management's doing everything they can, but uh, it's still, it's a tough space to be. If I could, would you rather myself? I would pick Coles over Macy's if I had to choose one. Since you pulled a Grasso, I'll go to Grasso. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I- I thought she would have pulled in uh, Lululemon off of that, too. I mean, like Karen said, that that whole space, the department store space, is is really tough to actually find some bargains in it. But if you're able to trade it, Melissa, you can wind up making, but you got to be quick, 20 percent, 20 percent here and there. you got to be on the right side of it. Those charts look a lot like EKGs, but there's nothing really sexy to Karen's point. And since I threw Lululemon in there, I think Lululemon is actually headed lower. All right, it is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. The Hummer is certainly uh, exciting news, more exciting news to follow with GM. Stay there. Karen. Yes, on the heels of those giant snap revenue numbers, I think it will translate to Facebook as well. Long Facebook. Steve. So I've been long Virgin Galactic. Today we heard from a notable short seller. He said, buy all space stock stocks. And then he said, I was only joking. I'm still in it. There's a couple of uh, milestones uh, approaching very quickly. I think this one is going to be blasting off. You know, that's the challenge. Sarcasm doesn't always translate to a headline guy. That's the trick. You know, Mel, I'm not sure what the primrose path is, but I won't allow you to lead me down it as you try to do so often this show. With that said, hospitals trading extraordinarily well. HCA, Melissa Lee. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.